Welcome to Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s, with yours truly, Glenn Robison, on Island Radio, KISL Avalon, at 88.7 on your FM dial, and at KISLAvalon.com on your internet dial. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more on everything from Aeolian to Xenophone and by everyone from Aronson to Zerky. On this evening's show, we're going to get tight, have a ripple effect, celebrate Stanley Adams' birthday, and hear about some kids. But first, on the 18th anniversary show, I played University Lancers, parts one and two, which was arranged by Theodore Moses Tabani, and I mentioned that Tabani was best known as the composer of a tune which you most certainly have heard, but some may not know its name. Here is Tabani's composition, played by the J.H. Squire Celesta Octet. Thank you. 
Do you know the name of that melody? It's used in accompaniments to lots of silent films and melodramas, and in many cartoons, too, for that matter, to evoke sadness, mournfulness, or despair. That's right, Hearts and Flowers. Hearts and Flowers, subtitled A New Flower Song, was written in 1893 by composer, arranger, and violinist Theodore Moses Tabani. There were dozens of recordings of it made at the turn of the century, and at least one before 1900, my favorite of which is by the Florentine Quartet in 1913. Most of them are not of broadcast quality, so we heard it performed in 1931 by the J.H. Squire Celesta Octet. J.H. Squire was born in 1880 and was a violinist serving as a musician in the Royal Navy and Royal Marines. He served aboard several ships, including HMS Agincourt, the last fully rigged sailing ship in the Royal Navy. He left the service in 1906 and led and recorded with his dance band the Carcino Orchestra in the teens. He once claimed to be the first jazz band in Britain, which of course is completely preposterous. He then formed the J.H. Squire Celesta Octet, which was the first light classical orchestra on BBC Radio. This orchestra recorded a number of sides for Columbia in the 20s and 30s, and J.H. Squire was quite a distinctive figure, stylishly wearing a monocle. The J.H. in J.H. Squire stood for John Henry. He died in 1956. All of the early recordings of Hearts and Flowers were played at a slow tempo, almost like a dirge, but later in the 20s, at least a couple of arrangers and bands tried to step it up a bit. And here's a fine example by the Tuxedo Orchestra.
The Tuxedo Orchestra from Vocalion 15126, recorded September 18, 1925, and Days of Hearts and Flowers, with Nat Shilkert taking a bit of creative license with Theodore Moses Tobani's tune. Now, if Nat Shilkert took a little creative license with Hearts and Flowers, then a few years later, Larry Wagner turned it inside out. Now, if I hadn't told you before that was Larry Wagner, you could easily have thought it was Raymond Scott. But no, that's the Triple R debut of Larry Wagner and his Rhythm Makers, which included Claude Thornhill on piano and Reedman Clarence Hutchinrider. That was Wagner's composition Hearts Without Flowers, based on Tabani's Hearts and Flowers, and was recorded by Victor in their New York Studio 2 on December 14, 1937. 
American arranger, composer, and bandleader Larry Wagner was born September 15, 1907, in Ashland, Oregon. He worked briefly for Paul Whiteman in 1937 and the following year led his own band, Larry Wagner and His Rhythm Makers, which recorded four issued sides for Victor. He was an arranger and composer for Glenn Gray and the Casaloma Orchestra from 1938 to 1942, but was associated with that band into the 1960s. Wagner's song hits include Whistler's Mother-in-Law, No Name Jive, and Turn Back the Hands of Time. Larry Wagner died April 3, 2002. Tabani's classic tune, Hearts and Flowers, at least got referred to again in the mid-1950s when Hamish Menzies recorded No Hearts and Flowers with Larry Elgart's orchestra in 1954, and Johnny Desmond sang Play Me Hearts and Flowers with Dick Jacobs' orchestra in January of 1955. I'm Glenn Robison, and you're listening to Rapidly Rotating Records, bringing you vintage music to which you can't not tap your toes from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s. Also in the 18th anniversary show, I played It's Tight Like That by Tampa Red and Georgia Tom. Well, for this segment, we're going to get tight, starting off with Johnny Dodd's orchestra. Thank you. 
cigarettes. Let's go in and get a pack. Okay. Hello, boys. What can I do for you? I'll have a pack of cigarettes. All right. Here you are. Be three cents more, though. What's that for? Sales tax. Haven't you ever heard of sales tax? I sure haven't. What's going to happen next, man? You know they've got a law here to call sale tax. Sale tax? What is that for? That's three-cent tax on everything is sold. They said that's the government's rule. The government's rule? Well, there's lots of things sold that the government knows anything about. Well, I'll just sing a little song about these sale tax.
Yes, sir. Johnny Dodd's Beale Street Washboard Band, July 24, 1929, with 40 and Tight, written by Frank Melrose. And, of course, that was Johnny Dodd's on clarinet and Brother Baby Dodd's on washboard. From the lyrics, you might think that the next song was titled The Sales Tax Is On It. But, in fact, that was Times Are So Tight, written and performed there by Charlie McFadden on August 2, 1933. American country blues singer and songwriter Charlie Specs McFadden was born Charles Pertum in Quincy, Illinois, on April 24, 1895. He made about 20 recordings between 1929 and 1937 for Paramount, OK, DEC, and Bluebird. And on the earliest ones, he used the name Charles Speck Pertum, Speck referring to his diminished visual acuity. On most recordings, he used his stepfather's name, McFadden, and was also known as Black Patch McFadden. He died in St. Louis, Missouri on November 15, 1966, at age 71. Charlie McFadden was joined on that recording by Aaron Pinetop Sparks on piano. He was born Aaron Gant in Corona, Mississippi on May 22, 1910. Like Charlie McFadden, he used the name of his stepfather, Sparks. Pinetop had a twin brother, Marion, with whom he played occasionally, and together they wrote Every Day I Have the Blues, which Pinetop recorded for Bluebird in 1935, identified on the label as Pinetop, two words. Aaron Pinetop Sparks died November 5, 1935, at just 25 years of age, of apparent poisoning. He lay in an unmarked grave for 78 years until the nonprofit organization Killer Blues purchased and placed a headstone at Father Dixon Cemetery in Crestwood, Missouri, with Every Day I Have the Blues engraved on it, along with his name and dates. I visited the website at killerblues.net and was surprised to see that the group has placed a number of headstones for artists we've played on the show, including Papa Charlie Jackson, Casey Bill Weldon, and Cora Lovey Austin. We ended up, but also started the segment with Johnny Dodds. That was Johnny Dodds' Hot Six with Too Tight, written by Natty Dominique, who played cornet in the band. That recording was made in Chicago on February 7, 1929. You can hear Lil Hardin Armstrong on piano in the background, and the label of Bluebird 10240 says the string bass and trombone players are unknown, but they are in fact Bill Johnson and Honoré Dutre. Have a particular song or artist you'd like to hear on Rapidly Rotating Records? Well, you can send your requests and your comments about the show by email to glenn at rapidlyrotatingrecords.com or send cards or letters to Post Office Box 145, Claremont, California, 91711. That's glenn, G-L-E-N-N, at rapidlyrotatingrecords.com or Post Office Box 145, Claremont, California, 91711. I mangle more than my share of names on this show, but I got a very nice email from a listener last week thanking me for the correct pronunciation of Budapest and suggesting that should the name of the person behind the theory of relativity come up on the show, I should use the correct German pronunciation of his name and say Albert Einstein. He was kidding, of course, admitting that were I to do so, it would cause raised eyebrows and ripples. Well, just this discussion has caused some ripples to be in this next segment, beginning with Fats Waller. 
The Columbia Saxophone Sextet tried recording Swanee Ripple's Rag on November 23, 1916, but gave up after three takes. They tried again on January 11, 1917, and got it right on take five. Swanee Ripple's Rag was composed by Walter Blaufus, and unfortunately I just missed an opportunity to give him his first birthday salute, since he was born July 26, 1883. Maybe... Just maybe he'll have a slightly belated birthday tribute next week. Before Swanee Ripples, it was Johnny Hamp and his orchestra and By a Rippling Stream from April 27, 1932. The vocal trio consisted of Cliff Gamut, Reedman in the band, Carl Grob, who played violin, and Charles Sochi, who might also have been in the band. And we started with Fats Waller all by himself at the piano. No rhythm, no comments, just Fats and the piano with his composition... African Ripples, from November 16, 1934. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records.
We're here each and every Sunday evening at 6 on Island Radio, FM 88.7, KISL Avalon, and KISLAvalon.com. This and all our previous shows are also available on demand anytime at all online at rapidlyrotatingrecords.com. And we're on iTunes as a podcast and part of the Global Community Radio Network. Last week, August 14th, marked the birth in 1907 in New York City of lyricist Stanley Adams. He graduated from New York University with a law degree in 1929, but even before graduating, worked on NYU theatrical productions and wrote his first song, Rolling Down the River, in collaboration with Fats Waller. Other collaborators included Hoagie Carmichael, Ray Henderson, Victor Herbert, and Oscar Levant, and his best-known lyric is probably the English words to What a Difference a Day Made, a song by Mexican composer Maria Graver. Adams also contributed songs to several Broadway musicals and donated considerable time and effort to music-related charitable causes. Adams was selected as president of ASCAP in 1953, serving three terms, and was re-elected in 1959 and every year thereafter until 1980. He died of cancer in Manhasset, New York, on January 27, 1994. Here are three from the pen of Stanley Adams. touch of devil in you that makes you run wild and act like a child I couldn't be mean to you though there may be fault to find there's so much good in you so I never really mind when you make a little blind mistake there's many a time we fight but then in the end I'm holding you tight I gaze in your eyes, then I realize I couldn't be mean to you. There's many a time we fight, but then in the end I'm holding you tight. I gaze in your eyes, then I realize I couldn't be mean to you.
to be mine All those little and old knots under the stars Was simply the well-known line You had an evening to spare You had romance in your eyes What a fool I must have been To stumble right in Listen to your little sweet lies You made believe Oh yes you did You meant to deceive Confess you did You knew that I'd grieve I guess you did But it's gonna be a payoff baby Wait and see Yes Someone will make you go boom Then leave you up in the air Then get to run around the same as I found When you had an evening to spare
We started our birthday tribute to Stanley Adams with the Dorsey Brothers Orchestra playing Jesse Greer's tune and Bob Crosby providing the vocal on I Couldn't Be Mean to You. DECA 195 was recorded in New York on September 21, 1934. Next was Fats Waller, this time with his rhythm, and You Had an Evening to Spare, from April 12, 1938. Oscar Levant wrote the music to that one. And we finished up with the Peter Van Steeden Orchestra and Everything Must Have an Ending, composed by Frank Stilwell and M. N. Osborne. You probably recognize the vocalist on that March 8, 1932 Victor recording as Chick Bullock. Well, everything must have an ending, but we're not quite done yet. As you probably know, I'm a fan of words, and I happened to wonder the other day how the term kid came to refer to a young child. Kid has been referred to refer to the young of a goat since around 1200, and is from an old Norse word meaning baby goat. Around 1590, the meaning of the word expanded to a slang term for child, and by the 1840s, it was firmly established in informal speech. So for this final segment of the show, we're going to hear some rapidly rotating records about kids. Children, that is, not baby goats. Thank you. 
and barefoot down to the old swimming pool. Stealing pies and telling lies like we all used to do. Sailing kites and having fights, playing soldiers too. Memories all come back and make us feel blue. Memories that will follow you your whole life through. Now the sun is sinking in our hearts with the show. The Varsity Four, Reedman Andy Sanella, pianist Bill Wurgis, Harry Reeser on banjo, 
Joe Tarto on bass and Joe Green playing xylophone on Kitty Capers. Kitty Capers was written by Nat Shilkrit, Al Sherman, and Lou Pollack, and That Brunswick 78, number 4075, was recorded September 21, 1928. Arden and Omen recorded Kitty Capers a couple of months earlier, but I like this version because with the banjo and xylophone, it just sounds a lot more like kids. I'm going to have to figure out how to work the flip side of that record into next week's show. You normally associate Herman Kennan, when you associate Herman Kennan at all, with the Multnomah Hotel in Oregon and the Garden Dancing Palace in Spokane, Washington, but in 1929, Kennan's band was booked into the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles, temporarily replacing Gus Arnheim. On March 16, 1929, Victor tried recording the band in San Francisco without success, but on April 25th, they held a session at the Hal Roach Studios in Culver City, which produced Kids Again. The vocal trio consisted of Ken Allen, who played trombone, Ted O'Hara, who played banjo, and Reedman Tom Sandoval. Kids Again was written by two members of Gene Goldcat's band, accordionist and vocalist Harold Stokes, and cornetist Nat Natoli. We started off with an obscure February 1930 recording of an even more obscure song. That was the four serenaders on a Madison 78 with Lonesome and Sad, also known as Nobody's Kid. The vocalist was Tommy Weir. Madison records were pressed by Grey Gull for sale at F.W. Woolworth's stores here and in the U.K. Try as I might, I couldn't find a shred of information about Lonesome and Sad. No composer, sheet music, copyright, or other recordings. Now, we've talked about kids as baby goats and as young children, but on next week's show, we're going to have a segment about another kind of kid. I'm Glenn Robison, and I'm very pleased that you've chosen to spend this past hour with me listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. If you had half as much fun as I did, then I had twice as much fun as you. I hope you'll click in or tune in again next week, and as always, I thank you for your very kind attention. Music